Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's a great honor to honor moms today, and um, happy Mother's Day, and so people watching live stream too, it's great to have you with us. Before I preach this morning, I've invited two moms to be up here with me. This is Lori Wenzel. Lori and her husband, Doug, have been members of Parkview for many years, and Lori is uh, deaconess here, and about ready to see her third child graduate from West High here in a couple weeks. So, and then on your right is Rachel Overton. Rachel is our women's ministry director here. She and her husband, Brent, equally uh, longtime members, very involved uh, at Parkview as well. And you are about ready to see your first leave the nest, graduate from West High in two weeks. So um, I thought I was going to ask these guys just to share like what are some battles but also some helps to them as moms. And so last service we did this, I surprised these guys with something they didn't know was coming and it made them cry and stuff like that. And all I've got up here is rocks. I don't have any, any Kleenex up here, but I surprised them with each of their seniors said a few words about their moms this morning. So we'll watch that first and then these guys will answer my questions. So here we go. Uh, hi, I'm Jack Wenzel. I'm a senior at West and uh, some of the activities I've been involved in are playing varsity tennis and I've also enjoyed um, a leadership position for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, I'm really grateful for all the friendships and the relationships I've made uh, throughout high school um, and I'm looking forward to continue those in college. Uh, I'm Claire Overton. I'm a senior at West High and throughout my high school years I've played lots of volleyball and done other fun things such as hanging outside with friends and I've gotten travel. Uh, my mom has always been there for me and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, despite her long hours working, she is always uh, willing to make time for me and um, is willing to help me whether it's with uh, homework assignments, projects, or college preparation. I'm, I'm so lucky to have a mom that uh, comes to all my activities and is always encouraging me to be the best that God has created me to be. Uh, throughout my high school years, my mom has really supported me through athletics a lot, um, driving me to different places such as Chicago or Minneapolis on weekends and just supporting me through volleyball. And um, She's also helped me by packing lots of snacks, making my food for volleyball and um, allowing me to be able to play the best I can. My mom has been a part of my walk with Christ ever since I was a little boy. My mom, my sister, and I would do a nightly devotional and then we would pray after and those were some of my favorite memories uh, from when I was a little kid. Uh, my mom's also supported me through my faith. Um, she's really set an example of how to walk with Jesus in daily life. As I got older, uh, she'd always encourage me to reach out to my friends and attend church camps and youth groups to uh, be along with other Christians so I could continue to grow my faith. Uh, my mom's also been there for me as an accountability partner at times. Um, I've struggled to find one of those my age, so she's kind of stepped in as that and she's been a great role model for me, a person of strong faith, um, and someone I can look up to uh, to continue to grow my own faith. Not only is my mom a mom to me, but my mom's also a friend I can hang out with. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. So if this was last hour, there'd be a few tears here, and maybe there still are, but um, go ahead and answer those questions now, like what have been kind of you've seen as your challenges as being mom, but then the ways the Lord has helped you. So. 
So um, Lori and I are big planners, and so we texted a bit back and forth of what you're going to share and what I'm going to share and make sure they jive and aren't the same. And we seem to both settle on this theme of perfectionism as mothers and as women. And um, in, in my life, I'm going I'm to talk about just one this morning. I could take Doug's entire sermon time <laughs> to talk about um, those struggles. But the one way that I would like to share with you this morning is just the ugliness of guilt. And we live in a society where I think there are so many expectations for all of us. But this morning, for women and for mothers, there are so many expectations that, that I think can be healthy, that we can put upon ourselves. However, when, when we don't know the difference between the convictions of the Holy Spirit and then that ugliness of guilt that we put on ourselves and that society puts on us, that is not from God. And that is not healthy, and, and it robs our joy. Um, for example, I may feel guilt of um, going on a necessary date with my husband and knowing that, oh, my kids are at home and I should be with them. Or I am working and feeling guilty that I should be doing something else at the house. Or So you, you get that rhythm of doing this but feeling guilty for that. And I just encourage you to... Um, to let that go. And the way I have done that is through the love of Christ. I praise God every day that he rescued me from my brokenness and my sin and my ugliness. And and when I spend time in the word and I really focus on him, and as the Bible says, it's to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When I do that, then he gets the glory, I get the joy and the freedom, and I can set that guilt aside. Um, it's still a daily struggle. I am not perfect. Um, none of us are, but, but he is perfect, and he offers that to us as a free gift. It's mm -hmm. good. It's good. So um, on that same line, I, in addition to being a mom, my most important job, my second job is to be an obstetrician gynecologist, and what a joy to take care of so many people from Parkview, taking care of Christians and non-Christians alike. But um, as I've gone through, um, I've had a really busy practice in my next decade. I've just recommitted it to the Lord to say, God, how will you use me in this practice? I've had all this opportunity to meet women, and so much of my um, encouraging women because moms come in tired because they have so many responsibilities to be a good mom, to be a good wife, to be an extraordinary volunteer at school, to be the coach sometimes, and to have a job and just do everything right. And people come in tired and fatigue, and I treat people for depression and fatigue and, um, and exhaustion and other health problems probably related to this. And um, when I was in medical school, my first year, I came in pretty confident, and I was a med student, I was smart, and I deserved to be there, and I had my verse from FCA in high school on my desk that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, when I started medical school, it was, I can do all things, I think. It was all about me. I was there. I was the one. But what I learned after failing a class in med school and having retaken in the summer after freshman year and wondering if I really was supposed to be there, is this really what I'm supposed to do, God? Um, the second half of the verse became more important. That was through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what's so much more important than what I can do. And I have to keep remembering that as a mom, too, because you can't do everything, and especially without Christ. And so as I lead my kids um, down the future road, it seems like we've had, we have a college graduate, a college student, and a high school graduate now. Um, the most important thing is like reminding them that God's in control. And when things fail, 
Um, he's there to pick you up, and he will be there to pick you up. And it may not be the plan that you thought you had for yourself, but it's, it's uh, and Jeremiah talked about God's plan for you, that he has a plan for you and a hope and a future for you. And just to remind them that God's there for you, and there's always hope, and no matter what direction he takes you, it's exciting to see where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Thanks for opening up and sharing. And um, let me just pray. You stay here. I'll pray for you guys and for moms before we step into the sermon here. So, uh, Father, I thank you so much for the things you've taught Rachel and Lori and just many moms in this room. Um, it is a high calling. It is a hard calling uh, to be a mom, to be a parent. And yet the things you've taught both of them uh, about your love, about your power, about your control and, and your help with them. And so that's, that's the tone we want in this room this morning is that you are our rock and refuge. You are the one who helps. There is not a perfect family, parent, uh, child in this room, but you are a God we can go to. You are our refuge and our rock, and we praise you for that. So we just pray encouragement and hope and strength uh, for the moms here and watching us at home, too. So we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, give these guys a round of applause. Thank you for sharing with us. Good job. Thank you for the gift. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was good. So we are starting a four-week series here called Life Matters, and we're taking four important elements of life and just showing what does God say about those things. So today is family. Family matters uh, to God. In fact, when you look in the Bible, uh, you will see family referred to in a couple different ways. One is maybe the way we're focused on and honoring this morning. you think about a biological family, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, and so grandparents. You see that in Scripture, and that's part of God's design and plan for sure. But you also see the church mentioned and called the family of God, that we have one father, that we call each other brother and sister, and so and that there are household rules that we follow as the household of God. And so what you're going to see this morning is that both families really do need each other, really are intertwined, and both really do matter uh, to God. And so when you think about both of those two, those can be some amazing places of fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. Like in my role as a dad, uh, there, it's just hard to beat some of, the, some of the amazing moments that can come your way. When my little girl used to do her daddy dance, when I'd come home at the end of the day and be so overwhelmed to just see me home that she had to first go to the couch, pound her head into the pillows and just pound because daddy was home. Like those are, how does that not lift you up at the end of the day, right? To have a daddy dance just for you because you showed up, right? So or as the kids get older, that you get a call for them from them just because they want to talk, like they don't need something, or they're not in trouble. They just want to talk to you, or they just want to say thank you. Like those are amazing moments. And when you see the family caring for each other, or you hear uh, things that they do well, like at a school or on a team, and those kind of things, those, those bring you great, great joy. Um, same thing in a church family. I've heard recently, like just in the last couple of weeks, of different community groups that have come around uh, some families in trouble or in crisis, and even one uh, person who did not know Jesus, but has been basically loved to Jesus by a community group. Like those are, those are beautiful. Those are amazing times when you see other believers step into your life and care for you as a family of God. But just like there's those good memories and good moments, being a part of both families are hard, and there can be some hurt, and it can be incredibly humiliating. I mean, some of the hardest things that maybe have been said to us have come from family. I mean, when you think about it, 
Uh, home is a place where everybody kind of leaves for the day and maybe goes out into a world and there's a lot of pressures and stresses and then you come home and that's your place just to let down, right? And to be the real you. And so maybe as a parent, some of the most humiliating things about you are maybe things that you've done or said as a mom or a dad, maybe just queuing me up for this sermon, just out of the blue. A couple weeks ago, one of my kids uh, said, Dad, you remember the time that so-and-so and I made you so mad that you swore? And it's like, you think I had to be reminded of that? Like, I, it's in our neighborhood, like, where that happened. And it's maybe at least once a month when I'm going by there, I go, God, I'm such a dork. Like, why was I so upset then, you know? And so, but some of the most humiliating things just come out in this huge honoring role as a, as a dad or a mom. And so, and the same thing can be true even in a church family. I mean, easily, I mean, <laughs> Easily the hardest things uh, have been said to me by brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, it's unbelievable. The other day I met a guy who in tears told me about a, fam- uh, a, a church family that had been family for him for many years where there had been some really hard things that have happened there. And so for the last year now, this man and his wife have been attending our East Campus and have been talking about how that has been such a place of healing for them and a place where they have once again been loved and comforted by the body of Christ. So you hear those things, and, and it's just clear to me this morning that we need help. Like, we need help, and how do we live in both of these families? Uh, it can be a risk. It takes time. It's hard work. Um, as a dad, I used to accuse one of my little kids when they were still in diapers that they would save their worst diaper blowout for me. Like whenever that garage door would lift, meaning Lori was leaving the house, that was time to let it rip. And let's do it big. Let's do it all over. Let's cover the crib. Let's cover the room. Let's, you know, I'm exaggerating, of course, but, uh, you know, and I would make sure Lori knew about the massive blowouts that happened when she probably is doing that every day, right? But I'm making a big deal about me. So, so home can be a hard place. It can reveal It can be a humbling place, humiliating place, because it reveals our character. But this morning, I want to take us to a a section in the Bible that will just greatly help us in both of these families. So if you have a Bible, if you would turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the fifth book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. You can swipe there. You can follow along in your outline if you'd like to. Um, I have the scripture in the bulletin there that you got when you came in. And so... The book of Deuteronomy, uh, fifth book in the Bible, uh, does a great job of helping God's people. It was written by Moses, and he's helping God's people look back, like remember how good God has been to you. He has just uh, allowed them to escape Egypt, to escape slavery in Egypt. He opened the Red Sea, and they walked across dry ground, and now he is leading them to a promised land. So it's definitely looking back, and then it's looking ahead, like when you move into this promised land, where I'm going to bless you, make sure you don't forget your God. Like, don't forget God is kind of a look forward. But out of all those first five books of the Bible, what Deuteronomy does uniquely is I think it causes God's people to look up. Look up at the God who loves you. Look up at the God who is with you, who is for you. He is astonishing in his greatness and his goodness. So make sure that you look up and see the love that this God has for you. And Deuteronomy 6 especially hones in on both our relationship in our family and as the people of God. And so let me read the first couple verses here, Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Moses is speaking to God's people. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If you look at those first verses, I think the main truth that Moses is trying to pull up here is the concept of fearing the Lord. Fear the Lord your God. And immediately we, re- re- we recoil a little bit. Go, wait a minute, what? Fear God? Like live our lives like in dread that God's going to like smack us or beat us down or something no good to us. Like it's, it's not that at all. The fear of God, I want you to think about being in awe of God or being astonished at God, astonished at his power, astonished at his beauty, astonished at his holiness. So there is an element there, like whenever people would come into the presence of God, man, one of the first things they do is get on their face because you are blown away at the holiness and power and glory of God. But what quickly follows that is also the grace and the goodness of God. Like he wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to call him our God. Like he is a covenant-keeping, loving God that is loyal to his people. And so God wants us to see both his greatness and his goodness and be in awe, to, to fear him, to honor him, to revere him as, as this kind of God. In fact, it's interesting, in, um, the phrase fear of the Lord occurs 150 times in the Bible. And so I just did a recent study and prayer retreat, and that was one of my personal studies. Like, what does it mean to fear the Lord? And so it's interesting, in the book of Isaiah, there was a prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah, and it says this about Jesus, that the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. If you want to look at what does it mean to fear the Lord, look at how Jesus lived his life. Like, did he live in constant, like, terror of his father? Like, it's the exact opposite of that. He knew that his father loved him. He, he enjoyed being with his father. He often withdrew from his busy schedule to pray to his father. He obeyed his father. He taught about his father. He called upon his so you look at the relationship with Jesus and, and he shows us the delight of fearing God. And so um, the, the, main, the main thrust of these first verses, what Moses is inviting us into, is to live with this fear of the Lord. In fact, verses 4 and 5 are called the Shema. It was the, the, if you were an Old Testament believer and we had Bibles like this, like this passage would be one of those ones your Bible would just fall open to. Or if you had bumper stickers or if you had screensavers in that day, like these two verses would be there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. 
It's not just talking about God being monotheistic, like in a land where there's so many polytheistic religions, many gods. It's not just that there's one God. It means that he's supreme. Like he is astonishing. He is the one and only. There is no God like our God. And so Israel was to believe that and know that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is supreme. And so because he is, love him with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. Like he is the God you should crave above all other gods. And so that's a key theme throughout Deuteronomy because God's people are about ready to step into God's blessings, like a a land flowing with milk and honey. And just like us, it was so easy for them to start getting more enthralled with the vineyards or with the homes or with God's blessings instead of God himself. And the same can happen for us. Like we can begin to worship or trust maybe a job or even a family or relationships instead of just looking up and trusting the God who is supreme, the God who is awesome in power and in love. And so, so the call here is to be a people who fear the Lord, to be so in awe of his greatness and his goodness. And when we live that way, we are an amazing blessing to the people around us. Look at Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. It says, in the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You can ask my kids, like which dad would you rather have show up at the end of the day, okay? The dad that thinks he's in control The dad has been comparing himself with other people all day long. He's extra worried. He's extra tense. He's a little critical. And he's going to come home and have dinner with you today. Do you want that dad? Or do you want the dad that has been living in the fear of God, who knows that God is in control, that I do not have to be afraid, that God uh, is good, that God provides, that God is gracious, that he is patient. Like, which, which dad do they, do they want to stroll in at the end of the day? That is a no-brainer. I love that Proverbs 14, that, that when we have the fear of the Lord, we have a strong confidence. God has my back. I have nothing to fear. Um, God will provide. God is good. God is gracious. I am a way better man when I live with that view of God. There is a strong confidence And then my kids, they have a refuge. Home isn't a place where they're going to come and get criticized. Home isn't a place where they're going to come and hear a freaked out dad. Home is a place where there's calm because the dad has a fear of the Lord. It's a powerful picture. And so so I'm, I'm assuming the same is true for you. Like you're a way better son or daughter. You're a way better friend, way better teammate, a way better coworker, way better mom, way better dad when you are living in the reality that God is great and that God is good, when you have that healthy fear of God. And so that's where we gather on Sundays is to worship this God who we are to fear. We're to be reminded that God is great and good. And so that's why we sing. That's why we praise him. That's why we preach his word. It all reminds us of how, how good he is because we, I, one author says, we are all Uh, amnesiacs. Like we can quickly forget how awesome God is. And when God's not awesome, guess who becomes awesome? Right here, right? Then it's all up to me. It's up to me to make things great. It's up to me to make things good. And that's just a ton of pressure and fear and worry. And so we gather 
as a community, but then also, you know, we gather, we grow, and we go. One reason you get in groups is that you have a place where you can interact with each other. Like one of my favorite things to do when believers gather is to hear praises. Like how is God working? Where do you see God doing good things? That's so helpful for me because I can be an amnesiac. I can forget what God has done or how good God is. And when I hear people just sharing how God has been answering prayers, man, that, that fires me up. You know, and it even fires me up when, I mean, if it's a community group or a men's group, like if somebody is battling something, and is courageous enough to bring it there, would you guys pray for me? Like, I've been, I've been just a horrible dad recently. I've been a horrible husband. I've been a, like, even to see a place where people are squaring up with their sin and asking for help. Guys, there's power in that, okay? We do not awe God alone. We do not have a healthy fear of God if we just try to slug that out on our own. That's where the church family comes in. We remind each other that God is great in his power. God is also very good in his love, okay? So, so that's the first challenge Moses says to us is to fear God. Next he says, let's follow God. And see, so look at verses six to nine. And Moses says, in these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You will bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, um, if I ever answer this question, what is a parent's number one job? And you just immediately, you're, you kind of step back and you go, okay, what number one job? What, what would that be? And you just think of so many things you could put in that answer. But I think what Moses is calling us here to is that the number one job is to help our children be astonished at God, at how great God is and how good God is. That we teach his ways and the way we show God we think he's astonishing is that we obey him. Now, this is something you can't make happen. Don't, don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you had a spray can where if you wanted somebody to just really like just follow God and obey God, you could just, you know, you could put that over your kids every night. You could put that over your friends, you know, like neighbors that don't know Jesus yet. You just go just sneak up on them and spray them, right? And just, it's done. Like you can't do that, um, especially as parents, as much as you want to and control and hover over in helicopter and all this stuff and just kind of make your kids follow Jesus. We can't do that. I was talking with a bunch of guys the other day and we were talking about as men, like how do you keep your awe in God? Like how do you, how do you stay focused on how, how amazing God is? And one guy was talking about nature does that for him, like just being out in creation. And he was talking about a time he took his family to the Grand Canyon and like, let's see the awe of God. And he was just standing there like in awe, first, first time there just seeing the Grand Canyon. But meanwhile, his kids are sitting on a bench facing the other way. And one of them saying, come on, dad, it's just a hole. You know, and so I was just like, sometimes you may feel like that as a mom or dad or like as a friend trying to help your friend see Jesus. Like, isn't he amazing? And dad, it's just a hole, you know? And so you kind of got that battle. So what do you do? How do you win? that battle. And I like how Moses started out. Like he started out by saying, make sure these commands are where? Make sure these commands are on your heart. Like it starts there, moms and dads. And it starts there. Like if you're discipling somebody, if you're trying to influence somebody, you're a leader in a youth ministry or something, you just want people influenced. Like where it starts is, is this all of God in your heart? Like, do you, are you convinced of the greatness and goodness 
of God. And it starts there. Do we fear God? I've said this to leaders over the years, that ministry is an overflow of what God is doing in your life. Like spiritual truth is caught as much as it is taught, right? And so I would say especially that is true for parenting as well. That if we want our kids, we want to influence our kids, it is really going to truly be an overflow out of what is happening in me. And so uh, Moses talked about like two kinds of training here. There's the kind where you're sitting in your home. There's the planned time. There's family devotions. And for some people, those are horrifying words. Family devotions, like they never work in our house. Or how do you do that? Or I'm not a pastor. Or I'm not a, how do I lead family devotions? And so I'll talk about that in a little bit. So you got those planned times, but you also got that as you're going on your way, as you're driving to practice, in the minivan, as you're just talking about your day, our kids are watching us and they're listening to us. And our kids can tell what truly is awesome to us, like what really gets us excited or passionate, you know, and um, what, what are we just kind of going through the motions on. That's why it's got to start in our own heart. There was a teacher in the Old Testament, a guy named Ezra, that was just a great teacher. And it, there was a verse that kind of summarizes his rhythm. It's Ezra 7.10. It says that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Do you, see the, do you see the rhythm there? To study, to do, and then to teach. Like if we are to be effective as parents or as leaders or as friends trying to influence our friends or disciple makers, like it's got to start with our own hearts and it's got to start... I wish there was an easy way. I wish there was a pill or a spray. Um, but it really starts with our own time with God. Like God in his word teaching us. Um, I'm going to send out an email tomorrow that's going to have some helpful resources, both for parents and families, but also just for this theme of fearing God. And I'm going to send you the, um, a biography of a man named George Mueller. He was famous in England for caring for orphans. He personally set up five homes that cared for over 10,000 orphans. And he has some amazing stories of like they have no food and a baker comes early in the morning and says, so God told me to make bread for your orphans. So here you go. Like just amazing stories of God's provision. But what George Mueller said was his greatest battle was to find, have his own heart be satisfied in God, to trust in God. And so the way he found he won that battle was to regularly, daily spend time in God's word. And he would not just read this as like an academic pursuit, but he would read until his heart was stirred, until he was reminded either of God's greatness or his goodness, and that he was reminded that he would only find his satisfaction in God alone. And that that was the place that he anchored his life and his hope of pouring out his life to care for orphans. And so when I first heard that several years ago, I try to have that discipline and rhythm as well. You've, some of you have heard from my fishing from three ponds thing, that, that there's three parts of the Bible I try to read through every day. And most days, at least one of those 
will hit my heart in a way that it reminds me of God's greatness or goodness. And then I've got my little moleskin that I just take notes and I just write back to God. God, this verse reminded me this about you. And then I just let that lead me into a time of prayer. I, the days I start like that are days that I just recenter my relationship with God and remind myself uh, to fear him, that he is great and he is good. And so, um, and I would say this then, like this is something else that we do. Um, oh, I said I was going to talk about some planned family devotions things. So this is something I hope to send out in that email tomorrow, some suggested resources you could use as families. Um, I would say uh, just <laughs> don't put too much pressure on yourself. Like uh, there's a couple of recommendations. One is um, really consider the age of your kids, what they're understanding at this point, and, and, and teach them at that level. There, were, there was a season where our kids like to act things out, and so we would act out stories of Jesus. And so one would be like the story of Jesus healing the leper, and we'd cover one of the kids with like these little uh, masking tape balls, and that was their leprosy. And, oh, I've got leprosy. You know, and then one of them would be Jesus and come up and just kind of quickly like brush them all off, and then they're healed, right? And so even if it was acting out, or this is really cool, like some, some younger families that maybe mom or dad hasn't read the Bible very much, uh, would kind of sheepishly say, well, you know what? We bought our son or daughter one of those like kid Bibles and I just started reading to him and I've been learning a lot. Like, and so like really guilty. Like it's like, no, no, no. Like that is wherever you are, like whatever you're starting, like that's a really good resource. That's getting you going. Now let's, let's go deeper. Like let's keep going here. And so as your kids get older, there's some great books like um, there's an author named Ware, W-A-R-E, that's written a book called Big Truths for Younger Hearts. Like, it begins to introduce theology and, and elements of truth and doctrine, even at, an, at things that, that younger kids can understand. So there's so many resources out there, but, but really the best resource is going to be your own relationship with God, like your own pursuit of God will be what will spill out, not just in the planned times, but in the unplanned times, all right? So, and that's another way that the church family gets involved, where we help each other. And so not just like there's many classes, there's many people here that could equip you. Like if, if one of you said, I really want to learn how to study the Bible, there are places that could happen. There are people we could link you with. And so, and so if you really do want to learn to study the Bible on your own, uh, there's a lot of places we could do that for each other together. But I think about my own life as I've grown up too. My mom and dad, followers of Jesus, they did what they could. They did their best, but they also got me involved in church throughout these years. And I can think of many things I learned both as a kid uh, and then even now as an adult that I have learned from other believers by being committed to a church. So when I was in high school, there was a guy who discipled four of us. He used to come to our games. He used to talk about our stuff. Uh, showed a lot of interest in us. But he also had a profound influence in our relationship with God. And three of the four of us ended up going into ministry just with, for several factors. But one key one was, here was a guy that just kept meeting with us, praying for us, and saying, have you ever considered how God might use this in ministry someday? And just it really motivated us. I think about even in my older years, when I first started at Parkview, I was a youth pastor. And so when Lori and I were pregnant with our first kid, we had already had kind of the advantage of watching a lot of families raise kids. And so 
we were at the beginning saying, okay, what do we do? What's our plan? And it was so awesome just to start going to different families and just asking questions and taking notes. Like, what did you do? Um, Jeff and Cheryl were a huge example for us, the Gilmore family. They had six kids go through our youth ministry. We saw a lot of things and did a lot of things with them, but learned a ton from them. Some of you guys know Jim and Lori Goodrich. This was one of the most freeing meetings we had because uh, we got together and we really liked all three of their kids. And like, how did you guys do that? It turned into a litany of, oh, you never believe what we did. Like, we did this. Like, we should have never done this. Like, we, like all we heard was like a bunch of horror stories. It's like, wow. <laughs> if, if, and their message was, it's the grace of God. Like, you, obviously, you pray, you do your best, but whoa. <laughs> so we, we left that one super encouraged. Like, wow, if those things, you do that and it's still working out, that's, that's great to go. So uh, very, very good examples. There's been many others there. Um, so just, just how the body of Christ can help you and, so, and help your kids. So get them involved in things here. Get mentors, get them in groups. Like you heard Jack Wenzel talking about what Lori did for her. That is so key. So we are here to do that as a family. That's the church family helping the biological family uh, do this in our kids' lives, all right? So, so we've got fear God, we've got follow God, and uh, let's talk now about don't forget the grace of God. Probably should have started with this because you start talking about parenting and families. There, there's so much humiliation here that there's a chance, I call it a guilt bunker. Like there's a chance that there's a bunch of you in the guilt bunker already, just kind of covering your ears going, I can't wait till this sermon's over because I've been a horrible mom, I've been a horrible dad, I've not lived up to my parents' expectations, whatever. There can just be a heavy layer of guilt. I so appreciate Rachel bringing that up earlier in this. So, but, but the, the third point here is do not forget the grace of God. Look at verses 10 to 12. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, with houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns, those are wells, that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Because this is a powerful reminder to us that our God is gracious, that our God is good, that in all of our lives, God has gone before us, and our God is for us, and our God blesses us. That's what God wants us to remember. So even when you get into this promised land, it's flowing with milk and honey, don't forget your God. Like, don't forget this was God who gave you this. Don't forget that your God was gracious to you. And so um, one thing you may want to do or start doing or maybe already do as a family and as a group of friends is to constantly remember how God has been good to you, how he's been gracious to you. So I'd say it was about four or five Mother's Days ago. I don't, don't think I do this every Mother's Day, but the idea I got that year is let's, my wife, my wife likes to hike, and so we went out to uh, the res and went hiking on a trail and along the shore, and we picked up a bunch of rocks, okay? And now we have this rock basket that we, at different times throughout the year, pull out. And what we've done on each of the rocks is we've written down, like different ones in the family, uh, we just write down things that God has done for our family. And these are things that we remember. And so there's different times we will pull these out and just be reminded of uh, God helped dad, dad and Hannah on their trip to Ethiopia. Or, I mean, just different things like that that we, 
add to this basket and then pull out at different times to remind us of, of God's goodness. That's what Moses is doing here. So when you enter the land, and just remember, this is God who has provided for you. And I especially think he's reminding us here of God's grace. Like the people of Israel didn't qualify. It wasn't like there was a competition and out of all the nations, Israel nailed it and God picked them. Like you win, you are the best people on earth. Like it's, it's the exact opposite if you look at these people and their relationship with God and yet God chose them and God blessed them. And the same is true for us that, that um, you know, I think when you talk about family, it reveals uh, and many times the worst of us. It can be one of the most humiliating topics. But what you got to remember is that when God looks at you, he sees all that. Like he sees our sin, he sees our brokenness, and he still moves toward us in his love. That's the gospel message. It's incredibly humbling, but it's also incredibly honoring. The humbling part is this, that when God looks at us, he sees that we are so broken that the only hope for us was that the sinless son of God had to die for us. That's how hopeless and sinful broken we are. It took Jesus dying for us to rescue us. But on the, on the flip side of that, it is incredibly honoring because it means that's how much God loved you. He loved you that much to rescue you that he loved you to the point of having his own son die for you. And so to be part of the family of God, you don't qualify to get in here. And I, I know Mother's Day is probably the number three day where there are maybe the most visitors in a church, like Christmas and Easter. But Mother's Day is often the day some mom drugs somebody here or the wife drugs somebody here. And so you're here to honor mom or whatever. And so that may be, but I want you to know that this church isn't a place of a bunch of really good people that qualified for God. Like it's the exact opposite. This place is filled with a bunch of broken, messed up, sinful, horrible moms and dads. Okay, happy Mother's Day, right? So, so, but that's the truth. But we are a people then who have been so loved by God in spite of that, that Jesus died to rescue us. Like that's the grace of God. And so now any, any victory story you hear about a mom and a daughter or about a family, those are evidences of God's grace. Those are not people that earned it or just were and everybody else. Those are people that just humble themselves before God and said, God, I'm a sinful dad. I am so jacked up. I am so messed up. I need your help. Would you forgive me and would you give me your life? And that's when God starts to move and to work in a family. That's what this church is. That's what the family of God is. Not a bunch of overachievers, but a bunch of sinful people who just simply cried out, God, would you be merciful? Would you forgive me? And when, when you cry that out and ask Jesus to be your savior, he steps into your life and he opens your eyes to the awe of God. That God is so great and so strong and so faithful and so gracious and so compassionate that you just put your trust in him and you need more and more of him in your life. If you missed last Sunday's sermon, I, I would listen again. Uh, it wasn't mine. <laughs> Thomas preached about Jesus being the vine. And so... It is so interesting to me that when God was talking to the people of Israel, he said, when you go into the promised land, you're going to find it's already planted with vineyards, like, and they're amazing. And you're going to step into this promised land, and you're going to glean from vineyards you didn't even plant because I'm a gracious God. And so last week, uh, Thomas reminded us that Jesus said, I am the true vine, and you are branches. If you remain in me, uh, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you're going to do nothing. 
See, that's the gracious invitation of Jesus, is that he'll take us where we are as broken, flawed, sinful, kids, families, people. He says, I'll forgive you, I'll give you new life, and then all I'm asking is that you trust me, you walk with me, and then you watch me pour fruit into your life. So I love how Thomas said last week, like, if you're saying, oh, I'm not a patient person, I need, I need patience. Jesus says, I know that. Like, I can see you. So you, you stay close to me, and let me give you my patience. Like, I couldn't think of a better quality for a mom or a dad today than, than, than patience, either in God's timing, the work in your kid's life, or with the kid himself. Like, like, God, just give me your patience. I'm not a patient man, and I need your patience. And there's Jesus saying, let me give that to you. And so that's how you live your life. Uh, as, a, as you're fearing God, as you're in awe of God's greatness and goodness, you're aware of his grace, that he wants to help you, he wants to give you what you don't have so that you step into a land with wells you didn't dig, with homes you didn't build, with vineyards you didn't plant. That, that will be the story of your, fa- of your family and the story of your life. Like, I, this isn't me. Like, this is God doing this in my life through Jesus, and that's the power of the gospel. So there is not a perfect mom, there's not a perfect dad, not a perfect family or kid in this room. There's a bunch of broken, messed up, sinful people that are loved by Jesus, that are now given hope by Jesus because of the grace of God. So let me close um, our time like this. Let me just invite you to pray with me. And let me just say, as our eyes are closed, maybe we're just having a moment here with God. Let me just make this statement that the, the greatest gift you could give to your kids, or to your spouse, or your friends in your life. The greatest gift you can give them is you in awe of God. Is you just in awe of God's power and of his mercy. And along with that, just your need for him, your dependence on him. Because when that's true about you, you become a refuge for your family because you are pointing them to your refuge. And that's our awesome God. So if that's all new to you this morning, that you can call God your God, that Jesus came to forgive you and give you a relationship with this awesome God, like this would be a great day for you to say, uh, I need you, Jesus, to forgive me and give me that kind of relationship with God. And so if all of us could look up, here's um, a verse I would like to close our time with. It's Psalm 8611, where David says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we are a needy people that have been offered an amazing invitation to live in a relationship with an awesome God. You are so great, you're so good, you're so merciful. Just help us. Uh, The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so help us get to this place. And God, if our hearts are not there, we just pray with David, would you unite my heart? Would you help me keep it from being so scattered and looking everywhere for satisfaction or refuge? Unite my heart to fear your name. And then God, would you pour blessing on the moms, the dads, the families, uh, the friendships, the community groups, 
uh, the networks of relationships in this room. And would you pour your blessing on this church as we fear your amazing name. In your great name we pray, amen.